Again, it's great to be with you as we continue our series in John. Let's, let's pray as we begin. Lord God, thank you uh, for the book of John and the signs that we've been able to study. I pray, God, as we look at this sign, the raising of Lazarus, uh, that we would know you better, trust you more fully, love you more too, God. Help us as we look at it. Help me as I explain this passage too. Uh, please be with us by your Spirit. Amen. Well, here are our four points as we look through this, uh, this last sign in our series. You might remember in this series as we've been looking at John, each of these signs, which is what John calls miracles, they point beyond themselves. They point to Jesus. They point to who he is. They point to what he does. And I think this sign, we see it so, so clearly. It's a wonderful passage, John 11. It's wonderful that we get to look at it uh, together. So here's our four points. The first one, Jesus is bigger than our circumstances. And these are on the back of the outline, I think. Uh, Jesus' love in our circumstances, our second point, is bigger than our circumstances, but he loves us in our circumstances. Thirdly, we see Jesus has faced the greatest enemy. And there's this, this question that runs throughout the, the passage, do you believe this? So as we begin, let's have a look at verses one to three. So, now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. I think the first thing that we're struck by in this passage is this relationship that Jesus has with this family. Right? It's, it's relationship that we see straight up. As Jesus has ministered to people, as he has helped people, he's actually developed relationships with people as he has ministered with them. Jesus is friends with these people. right? And I think that's actually quite a beautiful and remarkable thing. We don't often think about Jesus like that, but this is clearly what the passage says. Jesus loves all people and he often gets asked to help people. But he has, as he's ministered to this family, as he's transformed this family, he's developed a real rich friendship with them. And it's in the context of that friendship that this plea comes, right? So they, the sisters ask Jesus, Lord, the one that you love, this is Lazarus. This is your friend Lazarus who's sick. You've got to believe that the, the sisters would, that, like they know Jesus, they trust that he's able to do this. And you'd you'd certainly think that they trust that he would want to, right? This is Jesus who heals like random people's sons from afar, people he doesn't even know. This is Lazarus who he does know. And that makes what happens next a little bit confusing. Look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place that he was. It's a little bit surprising. Now, he loves them, so he stays where he is. You see, the sisters see a situation, and they want Jesus to do something very specific within it. They see the situation is that Lazarus is sick. The outcome they want is Jesus comes in and he prevents Lazarus's death. Jesus seems to see something beyond that, right? Jesus sees something beyond that. He sees a bigger situation. Uh, he, it's like he zooms out. 
You see this in verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There's something more important than, than preventing this one thing. That's that, that Mary and Martha, Lazarus himself, his disciples and all the Jews who witness it will see Jesus' glory. That they'll know who he is, that they'll trust in him. Jesus is bigger than our circumstances, than the outcome we want, than the situation that we see. I think one of the other things that we see here is just that both in this story and all throughout the New Testament, the disciples don't know what is going on 98% of the time, right? Like they, this story in particular, this comes up again and again. Now, these guys, they are his inner circle. These are the crew, right? These are the guys that he has selected. They just don't know what he's doing. They don't understand what he's saying. You see that right in this passage, and I think that should be a comfort to us. Jesus hasn't selected the elite, right? He hasn't selected those that add value, those that, all, that have it all figured out, that never need to ask questions, that have it all together. Christians aren't the elite. God's elite, he chooses us and he uses us anyway. That's how it works. God does not choose us and use us because we are great. He does that because he is great and he chooses to use us anyway. And we see that with the disciples, particularly in this passage, right? So Jesus says, hey, we want to go back to Judea. They try to counsel him out of that. Always a great plan to counsel, you know, who is he that counsels God? The disciples do, actually, right? No, 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 we shouldn't go there. And then Jesus is speaking figuratively. Lazarus is asleep and they're like, oh, fantastic. I always feel better after asleep. Jesus is like, no, Lazarus is dead. And then as soon as they, they finally get going, Thomas, this is the same Thomas who doubts Jesus later, just an offhand comment there, let's go so that we might die with him, right? Imagine if one of your offhand comments was just recorded in Scripture forever, right? That's what's happened to Thomas more than once, actually. But um, this should bring comfort to us because Jesus is actually going to show these guys this sign too. He brings them along and he's going to show them the sign too. That should be a comfort to us. Jesus arrives in, in Bethany to a scene of grief and despair. Lazarus has been dead for four days at this point. I want you to imagine what the sisters must have experienced as they waited. The message to Jesus has gone out. Lazarus's health is gradually declining and they're looking at the horizon for a Jesus who never appears, even though he is within a day's journey of where they are. Think about what the sisters must have been experiencing as they waited. Look at verse 20 and 21. This is when Jesus has arrived. So verse 20, As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, and I don't think we can imagine the emotion that these words would have been said with. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I wonder if you've had a moment like that, if you had just been here. 
might be a distinct moment. You can actually remember. You might actually remember the moment. Might have been a whole season of life, not just a moment. Could have been a long time ago. It could be right now. Lord, if you had just been here. I don't think we even need to read accusation into the words there. What she's saying is true. If Jesus had been there, he could have prevented this. This this question that she asks, it's a question David asks in the Psalms constantly. God, why are you so far away? Why are you not intervening? Have you forgotten us? This is a real experience. If only you had been here. Jesus speaks to her in verse 23. Let's look there. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And she says she knows that, but she's thinking about something different. She knows that Lazarus will rise at the end of time, like Jews did believe that that people are raised, but they're talking about different things. Jesus is talking about right now. He's trying to show her something about himself. And his reply in verse 25 is the key to it. So that's over the page if you've got the church Bible. So verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That I am statement, that's saying something big. He's not just saying, I know about the resurrection and the life. He's saying that I am life. You get life from me. It begins now. It's not interrupted by death. It just goes on and on. That is who I am. Do you believe this? He asks her. Do you see what's happening? Martha asked Jesus to delay Lazarus's death. That's ultimately what she does, right? Lazarus, I don't know if you thought about this, Lazarus is going to die again after this. He gets raised. He's going to die again. He hasn't become immortal, right? She has ultimately asked him, can you prevent Lazarus's death until later? And he rocks up and essentially shows that you need something bigger than what you are asking for. You need life and that is who I am. Jesus says to Martha, you need something bigger than that. You don't need death delayed, you need it defeated. And that is who I am. Do you believe this? Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was. That's a very amazing verse, isn't it? Because they needed something bigger than what they were asking for. And, And that's true for us too. And let's be real, sometimes Jesus does show up and miraculously intervene in situations in our life. I'm sure that you have experienced this. I'm sure you know of people who have. The diagnosis is reversed. The terrible relationship is reconciled. We've seen these sort of interventions. He doesn't promise that he's going to do that every time. What he does promise is that he offers something bigger than what we are asking for, doesn't he? And he does give us that. He is life. Do you believe this? As we jump on to our next point here, Jesus' love in our circumstances. What we see next, even though Jesus is 
trying to show her something bigger than what she asks for is one of the most surprising, confusing, and beautiful moments in the New Testament, I'm going to say. Jesus has announced to his disciples and to Martha that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet, when he's about to do that, we read this in verses 34 and 35. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then the shortest and most confusing verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, I've said that that's confusing. I'll explain why. I saw a video just recently. It was quite a distressing video for me initially. The video starts, just a short one. It's this little boy holding this rope above water and he's screaming his head off. And it, initially, you're like, what, why is someone not helping this? Why is this someone filming this and not helping? And you, amongst the screams, you can hear laughing. You, you hear laughing, building and building. And after a while... The boy's mother comes and grabs his feet and puts them on the ground, which actually happens to be 20 centimetres below the water. Laugh, laugh, laughing. The boy looks very embarrassed and sheepish. They all walk away. Initially, what seemed like a distressing situation, the kid wasn't in danger at all. The mother does not join in her son's distress because she knows that she is about to fix it, right? Right? She knew she had the power to fix it. She knew it was imminent that she was going to fix it. Jesus knew that he was going to solve Lazarus' situation. He'd announced it. He was seconds away from doing it. This funeral was going to turn into a street party. Yet when he sees the distress and the suffering around him, he weeps. What sort of saviour do we follow? We follow one who is gentle and lowly. We follow a shepherd who cares about the sheep. A father who cares about the children. He is a great high priest. He is able to deal gently with those who are going astray, Hebrews tells us, because he is subject to weakness too. Psalm 34, we see this, oops, one mark, oh, it's gone. Psalm 34, we see this, the eyes of the Lord are on you. The eyes of the Lord are, I've already said, Jesus is trying to show them something bigger than the situation that they're in. His eyes are on them in the situation. Do you see that? It's amazing, Jesus doesn't say to them, he doesn't think about them, did Mary and Martha not pay attention during Romans series, right? Did they not hear in Romans 8, 28, all things work to the glory of God, to the good of those who love him? Don't they know that everything that I allow is for their good? Don't they know that? Don't they know Romans 5, all suffering produces perseverance? Don't they know things I teach elsewhere in John? All people will suffer. It's like they're surprised by this. He doesn't respond like that, even though all of those things are true. God does use our suffering for good. God does use it to show us more of himself, to build our perseverance, to glorify himself. 
All those things are true, and yet he weeps with those who weep. Who's like this? You know, what sort of saviour is like this? It's truly amazing. So we move on to our third point. This chapter has a number of face-offs, I think. Uh, The disciples are worried because when they go back to Judea, they think that Jesus is going to face off with the Jews again. Uh, Mary and Martha, they essentially need to face off with their grief, with their loss. But really, the central face-off is between Jesus and death, between he who is life and death. powerful moment. I'm sure you've seen in, in action movies there's this moment where the, the key hero and the key villain, they make eye contact for the first time. You know this moment? Uh, any Lord of the Rings people here? Extended ed- editions only, baby. You know, yeah, we're not wasting Peter Jackson's effort. This moment, right? It's, it's Aragorn and Lurtz. This moment of face-off. What happens when Jesus faces off? Look at this verse. I don't know if you caught these on the way through. Verses 33 and 38. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was, what? Angry in his spirit and deeply moved. 38, we see the same sort of thing. Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, he said. Now, I grew up reading the NIV. If you've grown up reading the NIV, you might remember that verse differently. It says there, Jesus was deeply moved. I get deeply moved when I'm, you know, that's what happens when you go to the Grand Canyon, right? I'm so deeply moved, right? That's not enough here to describe what's going on. In your footnote, if you've got the, the church Bible, if you look at the little footnote there, it says the Greek is very strong here, right? It's Jesus is angry in this moment. As he looks at the tomb and everything that it stands for, sin and death, the destruction that it reaps on the world, the blight it is on his creation. Now, it's not, we're guilty of sin too. We're both a victim and a perpetrator with sin, right? But as he looks at the tomb and everything that it stands for, he is dripping with anger. He's seething, right? He's looking at his enemy and anger burns up within him. I had a face-off like that recently. Uh, where I'm staying, there's a, there's a, there was a family of mice living in the garage. I think that I'm, I'm most of the way through that family. I, think there's, I know for a fact that there's one left because I saw it running and took a picture of it. But I've had a face-off with this family. Like, you better pray for these mice. I'm coming for them, right? <laughs> but here's the moment. I, thought I, was, I hadn't seen any for a while. I thought we were done. I thought the movie was over. It's, a bit, it's been an extended edition of its own. Uh, but then... And it, the garage is a nice space. Like we've got couches and TV out there. It's nice. We want this sorted. So I hear this little scuttle, and on a roof beam, it's the it's the one, right? The last one. He stops and looks down, and I'm looking up at him. He looked at me for so long. I was able to take another picture. These are separate occasions. Here's him looking at me. 
Look at this psycho, right? (laughs) You know how I felt as I looked at this mouse? Deeply moved. (laughs) No, I didn't feel... I was like, I will, you will die by my hand. That's, that's how I felt, right? Anger rose up within me because I was looking at my enemy. And that's what happens with Jesus here. Just prior to this, we have seen Jesus weep with those who weep, be gentle and lowly. But now anger rises up in him because he is looking at the tomb and everything that it stands for. He's gentle with the sufferer, but he's brutal with sin. If you see sin and, and suffering in the world, and part of you just goes, it shouldn't be like this. You're, you're right. You're actually correct in that. Right? Jesus looks at sin and suffering and the effect that it has on the world. He, he's like, why are you here? Right? You, do not, you should not exist. It's like me and the mouse. Right? Like he's looking at his enemy and going, you will die by my hand. And, and that's what happens. Right? From this point, the disciples get one thing right in this story. From this point, he raises Lazarus and that kicks into gear the plots to, to kill him. Right? We, we, it's not in our passage today, but from here, like the wheels start turning on that. Right? Je- and, and the back half of John is Jesus towards the cross. Lazarus goes out of the tomb and Jesus goes towards his because he is coming up against his great enemy and he rises to win. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Finally, just as we reflect on this, as I've just, just think how this lands in our life. Mary and Martha, they had a partial belief in Jesus. Did you notice that on the way through? They did think that he could heal him. They did think that he was... She even says he's the Messiah, right? But it's a partial belief because when Jesus comes to the tomb, Martha tries to counsel him out of it, right? Don't go in there. He, he stinks. He's decaying. Just as a side point there, the King James Version there says, stinketh. Fantastic, right? Uh, (laughs) She clearly doesn't think that Lazarus is coming out of the tomb, but Jesus is showing her something bigger than what she was asking for. There is a very real danger for us that when we have those moments, those if-you-had-been-here moments, those can be moments in someone's life where they move away from God, can't they? Right? In, in my experience, most people who find themselves distant from God or walking away from the faith, it's not because some YouTube atheist finally got through your defenses. It's usually suffering, isn't it? Far more often, at least. Because those moments can be a moment where we start to move away from God. What can that look like? That can look like not prioritizing time with him. You don't, you don't want to listen to him in his word anymore. You don't want to prioritize your relationship with him in your, in your prayer. It's just you, you, you're moving away. For some people, this means you abandon your faith entirely. For some people, it means God's just at a distance all of a sudden. There's a new status quo. We're just not as close to God as you once were. 
But Jesus is a saviour that we can move toward. He doesn't promise he's going to remove suffering every time, but he offers us something far better than that. Yes, he's going to use our suffering. Yes, he's going to bring us closer to him through that. But Jesus is life. I need that far more than I need any specific circumstance in my life sorted. I need him, right? I need his forgiveness. I need the life that he gets me that begins now, goes through a tomb and comes out the other side. That's what I need. For some of you moving towards God, that might be the first time, right? Moving toward a Savior who weeps with those who weep, it might be the first time that you're ever considering doing that. Come and receive that everlasting life, that forgiveness for sin, that life that begins now. But for, for often for far more people, it means coming closer again to a God that you are now distant from because of an event in the past, an if-you-had-been-here event, that's created distance. Whatever you are facing, Jesus sees you in it. It's not lost on him. He sees you in it. He knows that he is the solution to it, and yet he weeps with those who weep. That's a saviour you can move toward. Do you believe that? Amen.